create lasting change, inspire others, and make a difference. You have joined the Influencers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Donaldson, and each week you will hear from distinguished co-hosts and guests as they share insights into impacting our culture from your neighborhood to the nations. It is an honor to have with us today the Assistant Secretary for Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families, Lynn Johnson. She oversees over 60 programs, including TANF, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. But overall, she is managing over $54 billion tax dollars. Lynn, what a joy it is to have you with us. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here today. And we have with us also a very close friend, Todd Lamphere, uh, who is the chief of staff to Paula White, uh, who is the senior advisor to President Trump for Faith and Opportunity Initiatives. Todd, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be with you, Dave, and uh, it's great to have Lynn with us. Thank you. Lynn, let's begin by asking you what led you into public service? I would have to say, at first, I didn't know there was any other thing. My family really encouraged public service all while I grew up. And then when I moved into my career, I started as a probation and parole officer. My first job was in a prison. Then I went to parole. Then I went to federal probation and parole. And as I served for 18 years in different capacities, working with very difficult individuals who had walked out of prison, never wanting to go back again, I saw that if our systems and our services worked better together, we could have many, many less individuals in our prison system, in our homeless system, in our mental health systems. And that really drove me to make changes and move into the human service system. Well, Lynn, uh, I've seen you uh, firsthand in the amazing work you're doing in D.C. But before we uh, focus on solutions, what do you see as the biggest challenges facing communities in America? And and a second question to that is, how is HHS and, and ACF in particular bringing all partners to the table, including faith-based organizations and houses of worship, uh, to address the challenges that face our community? I believe the biggest challenges that we have in our community have to do with apathy, the belief that we have to accept the way things are. The lack of critical thinking and the lack of tolerance, materialism, lack of commitment and communication, um, cell phones and video games don't help with the relationship building that would help tremendously in building stronger families. So I think those are some of the basic issues that we deal with, the isolation and the lack of social skills. But then that moves into the issues around poverty, hunger, violence, abuse and neglect, isolation of seniors. All of those issues come from the root of what I originally said. And so HHS and ACF, the Administration for Children and Families, is so fortunate to have leadership in President Trump, Secretary Azar, to move to action, to do things that will truly make a difference so that communities can serve communities, so that neighbors can help neighbors, people can help people. We are working to integrate all of our services so that an individual doesn't have to go to 10 different meetings, but maybe just one or two in order to get the help that they need. It should not take a month 
to get food on your table when you're starving. So we are working on that integration. We're also bringing other agencies, HUD, CDC, SAMHSA, to the table and working with them. And we're all doing this. We're integrating with the Department of Education in every way we can so that we can better serve the customers, the people, the vulnerable people that we need to serve bigger and better. Faith-based agencies are so important in providing that piece of hope, in being there when government is done, in showing that joy that we need to have for people to be successful. Dignity and respect comes from that. So if government, corporations, nonprofits, churches, people of faith all wrap around a person and says, you are fantastic, they will be successful. And that's what we're hoping to do. Assistant Secretary and Todd, we had an historic weekend. Uh, we were in Bakersfield, California. Shannon Grove, the minority leader for California. Uh, we had uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader for the House in Washington, D.C. Uh, Mayor Go of Bakersfield, and, and both of you were there. And uh, I want you to share a little bit about what it meant to you uh, to be a part of that in Bakersfield, in Kern County, and how you see that potentially as a model, the city serve model, that is not only reaching out to the community through the local church, but is also galvanizing both the faith-based and government agencies to bring solutions. Uh, I can uh, speak for myself on this, and, and, and uh, Secretary Johnson, I'm sure, has, has uh, similar thoughts, but what we saw saw in Bakersfield and in Kern County with CityServe was uh, almost beyond words. To actually see uh, the faith-based community working alongside the governmental agencies for the sole purpose of doing what Secretary Johnson wants to do, and that is to help families keep families together as opposed to them being torn apart. CityServe is, is truly in Bakersfield, in Kern County, uh, I believe are, are really the model for uh, America. I completely agree, Todd. And it was overwhelming to see the wonderful movement that city, county, government, faith-based, nonprofits, and those that have, were vulnerable and now are moving towards success are all doing together. And there was no turf fighting that I could see. Everywhere we went, people were working together to help the other person be successful and more successful. And that warms your heart. When you sit in a seat like mine, people bring you all of the horrors and the problems that are going on in the country. And when you go to some place like what we just saw in Kern County and Bakersfield, it was heartwarming but it also gives hope to those of us in government to know it can be done and we should do this everywhere. If we all would put aside our differences and do what Bakersfield is doing and Kern County, we could change how human services is done in America. I want us to talk for a moment about what's at stake, whether we're involved or if we choose not to be involved in partnering with government at the federal, state, and local levels. Uh, I served, as you know, in Washington, D.C. for over a decade. 
uh, worked closely with first uh, the Clinton administration, Charitable Choice, and then President Bush with the Faith Based and Community Initiative, served on the SAMHSA Commission for four years. And I learned a lot about how faith-based organizations and community-based can qualify for the public funds. But I got to tell you, what was a heartbreaker is to see great, great Christian evangelical charities not competing. They're afraid of losing their 501c3, their nonprofit status. They're afraid of government intrusion. Uh, Ronald Reagan put it best, if you get in bed with the government, you'll never get a good night's sleep. Keep one eye open. And so you have all these wonderful charities that are doing great work, but they're not competing for the resources. And as a result of not competing for the resources, they don't become one of the social service providers recommended by federal, state, and local governments. And the tragedy of that is more important then them not receiving the resources is that people in need are not getting access to the best services. And so if we're not competing, if we're not taking that seat at the table, people in need are not getting, again, access to really the full portfolio of opportunities. And I love what President Bush used to say, that addictions for people to be delivered from addictions, it requires a change of heart and habits. And we believe that happens through the work and power of the Holy Spirit. And so let's talk for a moment about what's at stake if faith-based organizations do not compete. Well, ultimately, Lynn, uh, the biggest thing that's at stake here are children. Uh, there's a new sheriff in town. And there's a, a, an administration that is very, very faith-friendly. And we happen to have uh, an assistant secretary of ACF who is also very faith-friendly. So uh, how would you engage uh, the faith community? And what would you say to the faith community as it results in, in being part of the process? Today, we know that faith communities can now apply for grants. They are, they are equal partners. They can request the resources. They can compete, where in the past that was not always the case. So I encourage faith communities, should they need the additional dollars, remembering that federal grants come with rules and regulations of how they need to do some things. But with that said, if these resources can wrap around a vulnerable population and we move to success, that outcome is what we're driving for. I think what has helped in the past is for faith-based organizations to understand the difference between a brownie and a salad. You know, a brownie, the ingredients, you, you can't separate. It's, and so faith-saturated is what Amy Sherman would say. But the salad is that you may have the carrot. That's the evangelism and the discipleship. The government's not going to fund that. But maybe the lettuce is, you know, the uh, financial literacy, uh, the, uh, the celery, maybe, you know, the, the foster care, you know, training, and in all these other programs. Uh, uh, Lynn, I mean, you, are, you, you could very well be the most influential person in America as it relates to social services. Can you speak to that? You know, that 
helping organizations separate that out, you know, the evangelism, discipleship from the social services? Absolutely. We need the faith-based organizations, churches, people of faith to not be afraid of that any more than we need our government agencies not to be afraid of that. We all have a role and we all have a piece of this puzzle. Every person is unique in their challenges and are unique in their assets. And the faith-based groups can find where that works for them. And ultimately, if someone ends up attending their church, that is fantastic. If not, it's still fantastic because they move to a place of health that helps them walk in this country successfully. And we, as people of faith, need to know that we can walk our actions and do what we say without pushing the, the separation of church and state to a point where it completely shuts us off. And that is well said. You know, Dave, you and I uh, had the privilege to be in Washington uh, last month uh, for the National uh, Adoption uh, Celebration. And it was an amazing celebration of what faith-based organizations as well as other NGOs are doing in the adoption landscape. And you had a special guest there as well, uh, Secretary Johnson. Would you tell us about it? Well, let me say, yes, I had several special guests there. We had We had some children and youth who are moving through the foster care system and who are moving to adoption and their wonderful parents, biological parents, as well as some um, adoptive parents who are loving these children and our special guest of the vice president. Um, vice President Pence said it very well. You cannot be pro-life if you are not pro-adoption. Yes. And so with all of our special guests that were there, we sent a strong message that from the very top of this administration to the most vulnerable person, we're all moving in the right direction to care and love and strengthen all of our families at every part of life and on every part of the journey. Assistant Secretary, you and I talked about how these children, literally tens of thousands that are in the foster care system that are longing each and every day for forever families. Uh, I had the privilege in 2004 to host the first ever national summit for foster care and adoption. Uh, we brought in about a thousand clergy across the country, uh, and then Health and Human Services brought in uh, the approved social agencies across the country. And the whole idea was, let's build this bridge to find forever families for these kids. Uh, unfortunately, it started out with all the clergy on one side of this partition and then all the agencies on the other. And I had the joy of introducing the former uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Tommy Thompson. I really challenged the clergy. You know, we have God's shortlist. And that short list is to care for the widows and the orphans. It's very clear. But also, as the Bible says, that God is a father to the fatherless. He sets the lonely in families. We have the homes. And so I looked at this partition and then back at, at Tommy Thompson, I said, Mr. Secretary, tear down this wall. <laughs> we want these kids. And I believe that God has raised you up as a modern-day Esther to tear down this wall between these kids, the faith community, 
You know, as a result of that event, my wife and I became foster parents and then adoptive parents as Barbara aged out of the system. And, and uh, I'm a very proud dad because uh, this Saturday she will get married to a wonderful young man. And so it can work. It can work. And her dream in life is to become a foster parent. And so talk with us about your vision, your strategy for engaging the faith community to find forever families for these kids. Well, first, thank you and congratulations on a wedding coming up. That is absolutely fantastic. And I'm glad you were moved to make those efforts to foster and then to adopt. And I am sure you probably know now that your life is better because of it, probably more powerfully than even for Barbara. So as we move forward, I have looked and I've been doing this work for a very, very long time. Many people from nonprofits to um, churches have asked me what they can do. What we find out is that so many of us in social services, we then just dump every problem that we're working on on the churches and say, here's what's going wrong and how can you fix it? And I've learned that that doesn't work. What we want to do, one, is always have prayer, always need to pray for our staff, for our families, for our leadership, and then we move into dissecting the needs so that churches, all churches and the faith-based entities that I've met have their own passions. So we, we take that apart and say, what is the passion of this group and how can they move to action so we actually get to true success? Can I actually count? that there are 342 families better off because a church wrapped around them to help them with their poverty. That's what we're looking at doing now. So I looked at the really good work that Congress has done to pass the Families First Prevention Services Act. And what that did was move prevention to the front end of the foster and adoption system. With that said, you still have to be abused or neglected to get into the system to get those prevention services. So the Administration for Children and Family, hand in glove with that bill, have said, let's move it a step backwards. Let's bring the community together to do primary prevention. Primary prevention of poverty, primary prevention for foster care, for abuse, for neglect, for anything that touches the Administration for Children and Families, we want to try to prevent the crisis from happening. Crisis is very expensive to the taxpayer. By doing primary prevention, not only are we saving money, but we are saving lives. As we move to primary prevention and strengthen families, we look at the fact that some 50% of children who are removed from homes for neglect is because they are poor. That's not okay. Ever is that okay. What we need to do as a community and as a government is wrap around those families and help strengthen them. If we do that, that's a big number of children that do not go into a system without their parents being around. So that's step one. So we are stressing primary prevention in all child welfare departments all through each state and everywhere that we talk. Then we look at what's already happening. We have had, we have about 400,000 children or more in our current system. 125,000 of those children have already had their parental rights terminated and an adoption plan. 
We are looking at that 125,000. So when people ask me, what can we do? I say, let's help find those forever homes for these 125,000 children. Majority of them are over the age of 10. So we need to look at how we're going to work with teens, how we're going to work with children who may have been in our system and, had, and have had trauma for a long time. We know that these are America's kids. We know that we have to wrap around them. And we know that we owe it to these children to provide them loving and forever homes. So we are working and asking every church in America, every nonprofit agency, every government agency to look at their numbers, to look at what they can do. Can we wrap around a child, help find a forever home, and for that parent that steps up to say, I want to adopt a, a high-risk teenage child or just a teenager that acts like a teenager, can the church wrap around those families? Can we help wrap around the families that are in poverty so that children aren't removed from them? Nobody who loves their children should lose them because they're poor. We have a lot to do, but that's where our faith community can step up and do the primary prevention. Love up a family that is adopting a child, and let's do this so that five years from now we're still not talking about this same group of 125,000 children. Let's say, well, we have zero, so now let's work harder on primary prevention, substance abuse, mental health, homelessness, and those other issues. That's a great uh, match. Uh, every community has uh, children that are in the foster care system. Uh, every community has children that need to be adopted. And every community have churches that are in there that can meet this need. You know, we've talked about in the midst of all the rancor, division in Washington, D.C. and in our state, you know, houses, what could bring us together? This can. Mm, good. I think everybody wants to find good, healthy, safe homes for these kids. Uh, I love the Adopt Us Kids campaign. Uh, you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. I love watching those commercials. But let's take a moment and talk about how somebody who's listening uh, can begin the process, number one, to become a foster parent and then perhaps an adoptive parent. And number two, uh, I love how you began to share this continuum of care uh, for this child. And we know there are many options. So it could be providing a refrigerator for an impoverished family so they don't lose their kids. It could be providing respite for foster parents. So there are many, many ways you can participate and as you said, wrapping our arms around these kids. Uh, share with us, uh, please, Assistant Se Secretary. It's for somebody who wants to adopt, there are multiple options. There's the private adoption um, movement where you could go into a private agency. There are also the children in our foster care system. So depending on the state and the county, the individual would go to their local county human service department, the child welfare department and ask to talk to someone about certifying to become a foster parent and or an adoptive parent. And that would be the first step. Every step, every state has different rules and regulations, steps, but we are working very hard to eliminate extensive burdens 
and barriers that keep people from becoming parents. We want safe, loving homes, and we don't want any child returned back to the system because they didn't have supports, and that does happen. Every child deserves to have a place to go for Thanksgiving and for Christmas and for Easter and for any other holidays, and we can make that happen. I've worked with children who have said, I don't want to be adopted. The child doesn't want to. And then at age 22, they're celebrating an adoption. But they had to understand and know that they were truly loved. So looking at being permanent for a teenager is also very, very important. Adoption doesn't have to happen right away. You can become that permanent home that that child feels safe in because then they don't feel disloyal to their biological parents or they don't fear that they will be given back. And over time, that adoption may happen as a young adult. So we encourage every and any way to wrap around a child. We have many, many children who age out of the foster care system with nobody that cares for them as a permanent support. That aging out moves a child and young youth to the homeless system, into the mental health system, and most often into our criminal justice system. It's time for that to end. No child should ever age out of our system. You know, one of the ways that CityServe is partnering with uh, Health and Human Services, federal, state, local, and you talked about this so powerfully uh, this past weekend about how these kids, uh, their belongings are like in a hefty bag. Uh, For Barbara, uh, when she was dropped off at our house by her foster parent, I kid you not, he said, good luck. I mean, it was like dropping off a FedEx package, and all her belongings were in a box. And so we have really taken this on with some great partnering organizations uh, and also Costco, World Vision, to make sure that these kids have the dignity of a nice suitcase and school supplies. And so, uh, but talk with us, maybe even more granular that you have seen, uh, Todd, ways, you know, that the faith community is participating. I think there are a couple things that have been happening here, Dave. And CityServe is really a great catalyst, a great bridge for churches to be able to help meet those needs. When uh, 60% uh, of children that are taken away are due to poverty, uh, we can help that. So churches are stepping up and, and they're, they're being part of the solution and instead of just uh, uh, griping about the problem. And so I think for pastors, you know, they, they have to see it, feel it, and, fit, and, and then fill it. That's, that's really the, the, the process for a pastor is to get outside of uh, the four walls of the church and to really take on some true blue Matthew 25 ministry mm-hmm. uh, that uh, that that God digs the underdog and God loves the, the, uh, the marginalized. And so I think that's where it begins. It begins with pastors who are going to be able to see their community through the eyes of Jesus. And you challenged us uh, this weekend, a lot of the pastors, uh, assistant secretary, and you said even one church, if just each church in America would say we are going to provide foster care adoption for one child, we could eradicate fatherlessness in America. If we will just follow, again, God's short list, 
to care for the widows and the orphans. Well, I want to thank you, uh, Todd Lamphere, and also the Assistant Secretary Lynn Johnson for being a part of the Influencers podcast here at Gold Pacific Studios in Newport Beach. God bless you. God bless you. I hope you enjoy listening to Influencers on the Charisma Podcast Network. Join us next week for another thought-provoking episode. And remember to use your influence to move people closer to Jesus. Jesus.